Amen. If you have your Bibles, we're going to look, uh, we're going to begin today. And if you remember last week, we started um, uh, talking about some things that if we're not careful, there are diseases or infections of our culture that if we're not careful, we'll begin to uh, be accepted uh, practice and be uh, accepted thought and accepted uh, uh, mentality in the church. And I believe that uh, uh, this church is, is uh, going to heaven. He's prepared us a place. I believe the Lord is preparing a bride. I don't, I don't believe the standard of our thoughts and our lives needs to be what the world's doing. Amen. So when the Lord saved us, he set our sights, uh, helped us to set our sights on heavenly things. And I'm not gauging my success. I'm not gauging who I am. I'm not gauging what ought to be going through my mind by what everybody else is thinking about and what everybody else is doing. I want to be someone that pleases God. And so we're talking about cultural diseases and uh, I, I would pray that this would just be uh, an inoculation, I guess, uh, uh, just maybe a shot of, uh, uh, what do they call it, when you get uh, vaccine, vaccinated. Turn to your neighbor and tell them Brother Gene's going to give us a vaccination today. Amen. Amen. We began last week talking about... Uh, uh, looking at the book of Matthew where Jesus told Pilate, if my kingdom was of this world, uh, my disciples would fight for me. And we begin to talk about uh, the contention in our lives. And I began these next few Sundays of study dealing with, as a pastor, understanding that this world is very sensitive. Uh, we talk about tolerance, but I don't know if you've noticed that it, it's even more intolerant than it's ever been. We, we've come through 10 to 15 years of uh, the propagating of tolerance, and all it's done is made people more sensitive. Uh, I don't know if you noticed, and, and regardless of your political flavor, uh, you know, and who you voted for, who you didn't vote for, uh, gone are the days. There, there has been a generation, Tom Brokaw wrote a book, the greatest generation about men and women that were called to serve their country in a very difficult time and how their selfless sacrifice is why we're here today. Uh, that generation is by and large gone on. Uh, and if you didn't agree with them, that was fine. They weren't going uh, to riot. They weren't going to throw rocks through your window at your house. They weren't going to burn your house down or make you move out of the neighborhood. Uh, but we're in that day. Uh, I, I, I don't think we ought to, as people of God, uh, say so-and-so isn't my president. If you're a United States citizen uh, and we're a part of a democratic system, it's, it's crazy how sensitive people are. Well, if you don't agree with me, then I'm going to get mad about it and I'm going to say things and I'm going to do things and, and it's crazy. We're in a crazy world. Somebody say amen. Man, if... if uh, if, if I hit the street every time I didn't agree with something, I'd be living in the street. Uh, there's something to be said for casting your care on the Lord and saying, Lord, you're in control of this. And we ask you to, we're going to do our part. But Lord, we know you're ultimately King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And, and, and then uh, we pray for those that are in rule over us. And uh, so 
Uh, I watched as, as we're not careful as a pastor. I just wanted, it's not so much we, we have a fever and now we're going to get a shot of penicillin. This is a vaccination. In other words, we want to keep the disease at bay. We don't want that sensitivity creeping into the church. Now, we want to be sensitive to God and we want to be unified. We want to treat one another correctly. Somebody say amen. Some of the most beautiful words that I've ever uh, read in the scripture, and it seems kind of odd, but they're in the first few verses of, of the book of Corinthians, the first Corinthians, when Paul says to the saints of God, to those that are called to be saints, everybody say saints. And then when you read that book, he starts dealing with incestuous relationships, uh, perversion. He deals with uh, uh, people not being submitted to authority, deals with church trouble. And in the first few verses, he said, to all the saints that be at Corinth. And then he starts telling them how much trouble they're, they're dealing with. So nobody's perfect. Now, we, we're striving to be what God wants us to be. Somebody say amen. Well, if we're not careful, we, and I mentioned uh, last week, we get real sensitive. Somebody, you know, they, don't, they didn't let me sing. They didn't let me testify. They didn't let me, and, and the list goes on and on. So-and-so didn't say something to me, or, uh, you know, they looked at me funny. And if we're not careful, all of a sudden, we get overly sensitive about little things that don't matter. Things that don't matter. And, and so... Um, uh, I, th- I think it's very important for us to understand some of these things. And so I'll jump in here. Let's look at Matthew 24 and verse 10. And this is Jesus dealing with the last days. Everybody say the last days. Matthew 24 is a, is a thesis on what's going to be happening in the last days. And, and the disciples had asked the Lord what will be the sign of that coming, uh, and the sign of the end times, uh, the last days. There's three things mentioned there. And, and Jesus begins to expound on what they've asked or to answer what they've asked. And in chapter 24, verse 10, he, a lot of things have already happened and we won't get into that. But then he says, and then shall many be offended. Many be offended. Turn to your neighbor and say, many are going to be offended. Uh, and true, there, there are offense. We, we talked about it last week. Offense is going to come. The opportunity for you to be offended is going to be there. Whether you're driving down the highway, whether in the grocery store, whether in Walmart, I'm offended. I'm offended by your comments. I'm offended by your actions. Uh, we live in that hour. There's all kind of offenses that are arising. And, and the Lord said, many shall be offended, shall betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. Deception comes, and we, we recognize that. And we, we understand in the word that in the last days, deception is going to rise. People are going to be deceived. But before that happens, they are offended. An offended spirit is open to deception. To be twisted in their thinking, to be deceived, not only uh, themselves, and then God says, I'll deceive them. So uh, Jesus begins to, to articulate what will be one of the signs of his pending return, and he says, many shall be offended. Now, who are these that are being offended? They are the people of God. He's not talking about worldly people. They, you know, their sensitivity is one thing, but, but he's dealing with 
the people of God are Christians. If you want to, and you say, well, how is that so? Well, read the next verse. Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. And we mentioned it last week. This is where we ended. That he's not talking about filial love. He's not talking about family love or love that the world has for people that's in their family or their kids. This is agape. This is the love that God puts in people's hearts. And he says that love is going to wax cold. So these people are born again because the love of God only comes one way. And that's by the Holy Ghost. And if you don't stay prayed through, it's hard to love the way God wants you to love. Oh, clap your hands unto the Lord. So... This, this is the Lord's dealing with the church. He's dealing with people that would claim to be born again because he says that love of God that's put in your heart by the Holy Ghost shall wax cold. And uh, he says they'll be offended and then they'll be open to deception and then their love will begin to wax cold. Matthew 5, 44. Uh, this, let's, let's talk about love for a second. Uh, but I say unto you, love your enemies... Man, we don't have to go any further, do we? I was preaching in a, in a conference and I mentioned uh, loving Muslims. And I literally had somebody walk up to me and said, you know, I didn't have any problem with what you were talking about, about love until you said love Muslims. And I said, well, you got an issue then. <laughs> Maybe that's the Holy Ghost making you mad. Maybe the Holy Love your enemies. Now, we think that's the neighbor that uh, plowed up two feet of ground that's on our line. We think that's our neighbor that shot the buck out of our woods. Well, wait a minute. What about Muslims? Well, let's talk about enemies. Well, if we could pick and choose our enemies, we might be able to hate them <laughs> or, or even be challenged to love them. But the Lord said, love your enemies, bless them that... Curse you, do good to them that what? Hate you, pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. Why? So that you may be the children of your father. How many want to be a child of God? Oh, man. Now, there's the litmus test. Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. Return not evil for evil, Jesus said. All you do is multiply evil if you do that. That you may be the children of your Father which is in heaven, for he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and he sendeth the rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have you? You know the answer to that. If you love those that love you, what is your reward? It's love. It's the love of the person loving you back. That's the only reward you have. If you love those which love you, what reward have you? You just have their love back. Do not even the sinners do this. You know why? Because they're getting something back. It's all about me. You know, loving your enemies, the hard part of that is there is no return. Blessing those that are cursing you, the hard part about that is that it's taking everything out of you. You don't get anything in return. You're blessing them and they're cursing you. See, this is how sensitivity and being self-centered can damage our relationship with God. He said, I want you to do this so you'll be the children of your father. It's not about me. It's not about, well, I mowed their grass, now it's their turn to mow mine. Hello? Somebody say amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him it's not about me. 
And if you salute your brethren only, what do ye more than others? If you only say hello to those that go to church with you. <laughs> I've seen godly people treat waitresses horribly. Horribly. Embarrassed. I was embarrassed. I wanted to be Baptist for an hour. Sit in a restaurant and gripe at the waitress and she's had a bad day and a bad night and she's getting paid less than minimum wage to put up with your foolishness. Well, I came here to buy my food and she ought to treat... No, bless those that... If, even if she curses you up one side and down the other, doesn't give you the right to act, uh, to return evil for evil. Bless her. Well, I blessed her out. Well, you ought to start doing that. You ought to bless them out. I bless you, sister. I love you, and I'm praying for you. I hope your day gets better. Here's you a $30 tip. Uh, amen. Some of you think a tip is look both ways before you cross the street. If you only salute your brethren, if you only speak to those that you go to church with, somebody say amen. You know what? I want... I want I, I want to treat people the way Jesus would have me to treat people. Think on this. The opposite of love is not hate. It's selfishness. It's self-centeredness. You know what? In dealing with marriage issues, the first hurdle is not, well, he did this and, well, she did that. You know what you have to do first? You have to get them to look at themselves. If they never do that, you're not going very far. Well, anyway, uh, and so we're going to spend a little time here today on, on this, a passage of Scripture, 2 Timothy 3 and verse 1. Now, we are in a self-obsessed, turn your Bibles if you would, 2 Timothy 3 verse 1. Uh, we are in a self-absorbed society. Uh, let's, let's not allow that to creep into the church of the living God. Hey, and the Lord's, you know, if, if we really seek the Lord and spend time with Him every day, it's amazing what, what He starts doing in your life. I've noticed that as I pray and as I talk to God, I've actually come up short, uh, almost choking on the words, Lord, minister, touch me today, move on me. Well, I want God to move on me, but I, I've, I've stopped short on personal pronouns and realized some of my prayers are self-centered. And I started wondering, now how many times have I prayed, Lord, let me minister to you today. Let me do something for your kingdom today. Let me do something for you today. Hello? Am I okay? Uh, we're in a self-obsessed society. In fact, social media uh, has revolutionized the way we communicate, the way we behave, and the way we interact. Uh, social media provides a platform on which, from which we can freely express and publicize who we are to everybody else. And it's given rise to two words. I mentioned one last week. I'll mention the second one this week. It's given rise in society to two words. Selfie and me former. Instead of an informer, it's a me-former. In other words, I want the world to know what I'm doing right now. 
And we could care less that you're trying to figure out which bunch of spinach to buy. Hello? Two words characterize, and this is in society, selfie and me. And selfie, it, it basically, it's, it's look at me. Look at me. I remember when I was a little boy, if I wanted a, a young girl, a girl to have, I was young, they're young, want them to have my picture. How many ever got those school photos taken? You know, when you get that packet with 32 wallet size and you're trying to figure out who you're going to give them to. Now you just, I mean, you just, you just put it out there and everybody in the world can see your facelift. I got a pastor, you know, got dealing with folks, you know, and, and he, he was sharing with me. He said, you know, I got this individual that went and got all this augmentation done. And, and sure enough, after all that was done, they're going to post pictures of themselves on the godly people. Going to show everybody their augmentation. Everybody okay? If we're not careful, self-centeredness and pride will get a hold of us. I don't want that to happen in the church. Everybody okay? Anybody want to know what augmentation is? I don't think we need a class on that. Selfie means look at me. Look how pretty I am now. Look how much weight I've lost. <laughs> look at my new lips. So people began to share their image with the public. Now, me formers, that's, that's given rise here in the last few years. Uh, and basically, me formers, it's enough about you. Let's talk about me. <laughs> let's talk about me. Now, this comes from a study, uh, a number of studies that were done, but one of them I'd like to uh, reference is from uh, Rutgers University. And Rutgers University, in their study of this phenomenon of what uh, social media has done to the psyche of American personalities, uh, they said there are 95 million tweets per day, 95 million tweets per day, and almost half of those tweets are classified as pointless babble. Uh, a me-former, according to this study, is someone who broadcasts unsolicited details about themselves and their personal lives. And Rutgers University in this study estimated that 80% of Twitter users are me-formers. In other words, you are broadcasting unsolicited de details about your personal life. Unsolicited means nobody's asking for it. Please tell me what you're having for supper tonight. The reason nobody asks is because they don't care. But you think they care. Because your supper is awesome. Am I okay? I don't know if you've been tweeting that stuff. I'm starting to feel like some of you thinking, how did Brother Gene know that? I have no idea. You know I'm not. <laughs> I don't even go on there to... to you know, so I, I don't even ride the range on Twitter. In other words, I'm going to keep all the saints of God in line. <laughs> you could be cussing me for all I know. I wouldn't know it. And that's a wonderful thing. You're going to cuss me. Come on and cuss me. It's the only way I'm going to know about it. Well, but you know what? I can go to sleep at night. 
<laughs> so I'm not laying there trying to think, now what did Blake mean when he posted that? I wonder what he's trying to say. No, I don't have time for that. It's, it's, I only have so many brain cells. My sister knows this. I don't have near as many as her. <laughs> Hello? She beat half of them to a pulp. She rendered some of them dead, I'm sure. I don't have, I don't have, a, you know, I don't have enough files in my brain to mess with all that. I want to live undistracted. Rutgers University, the study said 80% of Twitter users are me formers. Why? People are intrinsically self-centered to some degree. To some degree, it is in all of our lives all about us. In fact, it wasn't too long ago that I preached to you a message about the call of two kingdoms. Do you remember that? Jesus said, if you want to come after me, you must deny yourself. The first issue of the kingdom of God and following him is self-crucifixion. It's putting yourself on the line and saying, Lord, it's not about me anymore. Not my will, but thy will be done. If you want to follow the Lord, you're going to have to come out of self-centeredness. Well, you know what? The, you know what? The, the other kingdom preaches a whole different message. Self-centeredness is, self-centeredness is at the root of sin. Just a cursory study of, of, of the book of Genesis, chapter 2 and 3, you'll recognize that when Satan tempted Adam and Eve, who were in perfection, who were in the light, when you recognize what that temptation was about, it was about self-centeredness. It was about what you're missing out on. It's time for you now. God's held something back from you. You deserve it. And all of a sudden... <laughs> A relationship between God and his creation has a lot of personal pronouns injected in it. I, it's mine. I have a right to it. I think God's holding something back for me. And here we are in this mess. And if we're not careful, we'll continue to live in that. Somebody say amen. It's very important for us to understand. When I began to study depression, I, uh, I was trying to minister to an individual that, you know, I, I didn't seem to ever be able to talk them off the cliff. In fact, I started to jump a couple of times. I tried to encourage and pray and call on Jesus and talk in tongues and nothing ever. And, and I, started, I started really digging in what, what am I dealing with. You know that the studies have found that, that, that depression is, is rooted in self-centeredness? Boy, it's real quiet here. Because, no, you're depressed because something happened to you. No, you're not depressed because something happened to you. Something happens to everybody. You didn't deserve that. And it's all about you. And you wanted it a certain way. And because it didn't happen a certain way, now you're depressed about it. You say, I'm not sure I agree with that. Well, let me help you with the oldest book in the Bible. It's the book of Job. Anybody remember what happened to Job? Throw it out at me. Come on, help me. Talk back to me. Wake up for a second. What happened to Job? He lost everything, but did he have anything to lose? Was, was he a rich man? And then what happened? Lost all of it. All his cows and, then, and all his possessions. And what else did he lose? He lost his health. He's got what they called boils on his body and his wife says curse God and die he's scraping his body with a broken piece of clay or pottery and he's scraping those boils busting those boils open and scraping them probably itching to, to you can't imagine the pain the guy was in 
And all that he's going on, then he's get three guys come over to minister to him, the, the, some of the elders from the church. And what do they do? They start t- talking to him. And what do they say? You must have done something wrong. Oh, no, he said, no, my heart, I'm, I'm innocent. I haven't done anything. I, my hands are clean. And they keep on, oh, no, there's something you're not telling us. You're not, you're not, you're not being honest because no, nothing, this doesn't happen unless God's mad at you. And when they get all done, and do you know, have you read in the book of Job, when the tables turned? Do you know when the tables turned? Do you know when God said, that's enough? Do you know when that moment was? It's in your Bible. God turned Job's captivity at a specific moment. When was it? When he prayed for himself? No. When he prayed for his friends. The very guys that were saying, you're the reason you lost all your stuff. Job's situation turned when Job got his mind off of his trouble. Come on, somebody needs to hear what I'm saying. If you're not careful, your self-centeredness will cause you to come to church discouraged. But I refuse to be discouraged. God's good. Regardless of what's going on in my life, I'm telling you, God's good. Come on, clap your hands unto the Lord. Hey, I still got my aches and pains, but Jesus is a healer. Come on, it hadn't gone like I wanted it to go, but he's a way maker. Oh, come on, praise the Lord. Let's get our eyes on the Lord today. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, clap your hands under the Lord. He's worthy. Somebody say amen. Job's captivity was turned when he prayed for his friends. Man, how many prisons have I sat in and the bars were self-centeredness? And the bars were, I deserve to be happy. I deserve this. I want that. I, 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 me, mine, 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 I, I, me, me, me. Full of it. Personal pronouns. They dominate my vernacular. In fact, just check yourself for a week how many times you say me and mine and I. I think this. Well, some people don't care what you think. Amen. Just every time you say a personal pronoun this week, let it, whoa, now, wait a minute. How many times have I said that? You know, if we're not careful, we'll spend a lot of time in church trying to make God bigger, the Holy Ghost more powerful. It's almost like we come to church with the mentality that, uh, for some reason, the Holy Ghost has gotten weaker during the, during the week, and we got to come and, and get it stirred up again. How many of you have ever experienced the Holy Ghost? You've been born again of the water and of the Spirit. Now, I want to tell you something right now. The Holy Ghost is as good as it gets. It doesn't get any better than that. Paul said, this is the earnest of your inheritance. In other words, this is the down payment. You're going to get the full Monty. <laughs> But that's all you get. And if the Holy Ghost is not enough to help you be faithful, godly, I've got a comfort and I've got a guide in the Holy Ghost. And it's been given to me. It's an incredible light. It's light in me. It's power in me. 
And I come to church and say, oh, Lord, I need, we need more power, more power, more power. But Paul said we have this treasure in what? Earthen vessels, vessels of clay. And I'm convinced, just like Gideon understood, that there's no problem with the light. That the light has the ability to shine and push out the darkness. The light has enough power. But the problem is not with the light. It's with, with the vessel. And we design services to make God bigger. We want them to see God bigger. We want the Holy Ghost to move more. And we need more power. And we... But how many services are designed to break the vessel? To make us weaker? See how quiet it's getting? That's not popular. It means Calvary every day. It means dying every day. It means getting up in the morning and saying, Lord, not my will today, but your will. Lord, I don't want to be self-centered. I don't want my opinion to be the only one. Lord, I want to live for you and live a sacrificial life. Come on, clap your hands under the Lord. We spend a lot of time making the light brighter. Let's spend some time making the vessel weaker. I'm nothing and he is everything. So if we're not careful, self-centeredness, when the center of gravity in an individual shifts from God to yourself, it is unimaginable the sins that can spring up. Is everybody okay? It's unimaginable what happens in our hearts when the center of gravity shifts from God to myself. So let's look at it. It's listed in the Bible what happens when that takes place. Let's look at 2 Timothy 3 verse 1. This know also. Everybody say, I need to know something. And here's what you need to know. Then the last days perilous times shall come. Now the Greek word is, means violent or dangerous or hard. Hard times. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, I got good news for you. Hard times are coming. I want to cheer you up today. Dangerous times are coming. Everybody okay? And the only place that word, the Greek word uh, for perilous, the only other place that's used is Matthew 8, 28, where Jesus comes to a shore and two men come running out of the tombs and the Bible says they're exceedingly fierce. The word means hard or dangerous or violent. We're living in a violent hour. And, and Paul said to Timothy, know this, in the last days, violent times, hard times shall come. And verse 2, why? Because, the word for can be substituted, because men shall be lovers of their own selves. It's going to get violent because people are self-centered. People are going to lose their love and their affection for one another because they love themselves, and that leads to violence. It's happening today in our world. And then he goes on to list. Look at this. When, when the center of gravity shifts from God to myself, look at it. He said, men, first thing, they start loving themselves. And 
that loving your own self, loving their own selves, uh, the Greek word means to be selfish. The sense of that word is this, affections concerned chiefly with oneself and one's advantages to the exclusion of other people. In other words, well, it doesn't bother me. Not at my house. Whatever they do, it's their business. You exclude every, it doesn't matter because it doesn't affect you. And that leads to violence. And then he says covetous. Everybody say covetous. First thing, they get self-centered. And then they get covetous. The word, literally, Greek word means fond of money. And the sense that the Greek word is used is an immoderately, that a person is immoderately desirous of acquiring wealth. Listen, this, this is dangerous, folks. Self-centeredness, all of a sudden you deserve certain things, I want certain things. And uh, it's not money that's the root of all evil, it's the love of it. Somebody say Amen covetous I want what they have I want what that person has and then he says boasters they love themselves now they have an inordinate desire to acquire wealth and now they become boasters the word literally means a braggart you ever run into somebody that when you told a story they always one-upped you it's like, yep one-upper there you go Man, I had a buck come through my woods and yada, yada, yada. And, oh, that's nothing. Let me tell you about mine. You know, you know what I've done with those kind of people before? I just made up some outlandish story just to see if they'd want up it. Sure enough, they take the bait. <laughs> Hello? Boasters, braggart. The sense is, uh, the, the word is used in the sense of one who believes that all achievements are of their own doing. You need to be really careful. I want, I want to remind you of what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. When, now, I want to, last Monday night we had prayer for our election. I thank God we prayed. I don't know if it worked or not. Your opinion may be, well, prayer didn't work. You know what that means? Because your candidate, you notice, your can, my candidate, uh-oh, that's what I'm preaching about. Well, we prayed. We said, God, you know what all of a sudden hit me? The Holy Ghost hit me, and I began to pray, Lord, Nebuchadnezzar wasn't even a godly man. He was a heathen king. And you put him out in the field on his knees until he recognized that you were sovereign Lord of the universe. And I said, Lord, Belshazzar wasn't even a godly man. He hated God's people, but your hand came and wrote on the wall of his palace. You can do the same thing in America, right? Come on, I'm telling you, God knows how to move. And we think, oh, they're not listening. I want to tell you, God can get the leaders of this nation's attention. There's biblical proof that they don't have to go to church to hear from God. God can write on the walls of the White House. So back to my point. Do you know what God did to Nebuchadnezzar? When Nebuchadnezzar looked over his kingdom of Babylon and he says, Is this great Babylon that I built? And God said, All right, you're going out in the field like a cow. From that moment, he went out in the field and he ate grass like a beast. And the Bible says hair grew up on his back and his fingernails became like claws. And God said, the minute you think this is your doing, 
I'm going to put you in the field on your knees. And a braggart, somebody that's a boaster, thinks that everything that's happened in their life is their own doing. We heard about it last Sunday. Brother Kyle preached a great message about a spirit of gratitude. I don't want you to ever forget that the roof over your head is not your own doing. The car you drive is not your own doing. The money you may have in a bank account is not your own doing. It's the Lord's blessing. And we ought to take a minute to thank him for it. I don't want to be a boaster because if I get selfish, I'll start thinking I'm the author of my own success. Oh, come on, clap your hands unto the Lord. I love you, Jesus. The minute the center of gravity shifts from God to me, I begin to boast. Listen, the next thing, they love themselves. They're in, they have an, inordinate, an inordinate desire to achieve, to acquire wealth. And then they begin to think because they've gone after it and they've seen a little success, they begin to boast about it. They think it's their own doing. And you know what that leads to? It's in your Bible. Covetous, boasters, what? What's the next one? Proud. That means arrogant. The sense that the word is used is having or showing feelings of unwarranted importance. You know why? Because they were going after things and they acquired them. And they thought, I'm the one that acquired it. Well, that makes you proud. This is not just a list. This is almost a stair step into degradation. This is almost the process listed for us that you get proud because you think this is your own doing. All of a sudden, pride becomes an issue. And then notice what happens next. Once you're, you have an unwarranted sense of importance, what happens? You become a blasphemer. And that word means an irreverence toward what is held to be sacred. A slanderer. And then the scripture says they're disobedient. That means not obeying or complying with commands from those in authority. And then they become unthankful. Everybody say unthankful. Not feeling or expressing gratitude. And then unholy. Everybody say unholy. Lacking the characteristics of moral purity. Uh, and the list goes on. And then verse chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 3, without natural affection. That means hard-hearted, unfeeling, lacking affection for others, especially the natural affections between family members, truce breakers. You say, oh, that, I, I know what that is. That somebody makes a promise and then they don't keep it. No, it, it doesn't. The, it, the Greek word is not about breaking a promise. It's about being irreconcilable. In other words, there cannot, it cannot be fixed. The, 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 the damage is irreversible. The, the word means uh, no formal way of making peace. You can't make peace with that person. Met somebody to argue with a French French post French French post <laughs> a French post. When I was a little younger, they you know you'd hear that you'd argue with a French post. No, I wouldn't. Yes, you would. No, I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't. And you're making my point right now. Oh, and you're a French post. <laughs> Truth breakers. It's not about breaking promises. It's about the inability to make peace. We talked about that Wednesday night. There are times that peace needs to be made. Somebody say amen. False accusers. Everybody say false accusers. Do you know what the word there is? The Greek word is diablos. 
You know what that is? That's the same word for devil. False accuser, the word is the same word for devil. You know why? Because that's what the devil does. He's the accuser of the brethren. It's the same Greek word. You want to be a devil? Get self-centered. Start accusing other people. Man, and isn't that a slippery slope? Where's your homework, Johnny? My dog ate it. That was funny in grade school. But as adults, we make up those reasons. We accuse everybody else for the malady of our own heart and mind. Everybody okay? Well, it's their fault. They shouldn't have done it. Well, that's between them and God. Attacking the reputation of another, it sounds a lot like the devil. You know, I've mentioned it before. When I go to prayer, or I talk to God, or uh, uh, I want to make, there's, there's, the Bible tells us Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. The Bible also tells us that the devil is the accuser of the brethren. And when I go to prayer, I want to sound like Jesus and not the devil. When I enter my prayer closet, I don't, want to, I don't want the Lord to hear me and it be sounding like the accuser. Well, Lord, they did this, and you, I can't believe them. When are you going to kill them, Lord? The Bible says Jesus intercedes. He prays for. Somebody say amen. Incontinent, that means without self-control, unrestrained. Fierce, the next word, it means savage or brutal. Despisers of good, that means without interest for good, characterized by a hatred or an absence of love for all good things. This is what happens when the center of gravity shifts from God to me. Verse 4, traitors, a person who violates an allegiance, betrays someone or something to whom an allegiance is owed. Heady, that means they are marked by defiant disregard for danger or consequences. Hello? High-minded to be or become proud, conceived of as being puffed up with air. Lovers of pleasure and an inordinate fondness for pursuing pleasure. Having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such. Do what? Take them to dinner and talk them out of it. Turn away from them. They have a form of godliness, fabricating something in a particular shape. They look like they're godly. They have devout practices for God. It's just a form. They deny. They refuse to recognize or acknowledge the power, the controlling influence in their life. And from them, turn away. Avoid them. Stay away from them deliberately. It all starts with self-centeredness. I don't want it to get a hold of me. I don't want it to get a hold of the church of the living God. Somebody say amen. I got a few verses. I want to read 2 Timothy 4 verse 3. For the time will come. Time will come. When they will not endure sound doctrine. Look at this. Let's throw a few personal pronouns in here. But after their own lust. This is what I want. This is what I want to hear. They shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. And they shall be turned away. They shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. You know where that starts? That starts with them saying, I want to hear somebody that scratches my desire. 
I know there are times, and Brother Bob Mason the other night said, you know, Sunday, Brother Gene ripped my face off. I, and I mentioned it Wednesday night. Just, and, and there are times a preacher has to decide whether he's going to scratch your ears or he's going to tell you the truth. Because, <laughs> you know, I, I can quit preaching right now and I can grab a few lollipops and I can stick them out here and you'll start shouting and running. And, and, and a preacher, if, he, if he's preached any amount of time, he knows what people want to hear. But it's not important what people want to hear. It's I want to hear from God, preacher. I want to hear what God would say to me. And the Bible says the time's going to come when their own lust is more important than the truth. Paul mentions the, that these deceived men and women would have a zeal for knowledge but never be changed by it. 2 Timothy 3 and 7 says ever learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Many shall be offended and betray one another and shall hate one another. I believe God wants to keep us in love. I believe he wants us to love one another. Somebody say amen. Oh, clap your hands unto the Lord right now. I want to read one more verse. Come on, let's clap unto the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Philippians 2 verse 3. And I know I skipped some verses for those that are on the... Uh, the PowerPoint there, but I want to I want to skip to the last uh, verse here. Philippians two verse three. Uh, what what should we do in the church? How should we live? Philippians two verse three. Let nothing be done through strife and vainglory. Let nothing be done through strife and vainglory. Somebody say Amen. This is a this is a very important verse, folks. I think we need to understand that Paul said to, to the Philippian church, he said, don't, don't let anything be done for strife or, or vainness or vanity. Uh, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem the other better than themselves. Let not every man, let, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, Thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God hath highly exalted him and given him a name that is, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, of things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Did you hear all that? It says the reason God has given Jesus a name that's above every name is because he humbled himself. Let me ask you something. Paul said there's a time we need to die. And that doesn't just happen at one, one event. I come to the altar and I say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. That happens every day. Every day I need to humble myself and become obedient to death. Every day I need to humble myself to be obedient to the death of the cross. Every day I need to go there and say, Lord, I crucify myself again. Because I know that if we do that, God will bless our lives. God will say, that's my child right there. Somebody say amen. Would you stand with me? Let's love the Lord right now. Let's ask God to help us.